Good morning, New Hope. It's good to see you all. Everybody doing okay? It's awfully quiet. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, lots of opportunities you've been hearing about all morning after the service to head over and engage with some of these uh, different ministries. And uh, excited to be with you this morning. If you haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here. And we've got uh, a new journey today starting through the book of Malachi, which we'll get to in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, uh, I wanted to ask, I want to share a couple pictures with you. Uh, let's go ahead and show those now. This is from this weekend. The middle school ministry has an annual event called Blitz, which is a ton of fun. Anybody out there go to Blitz this year? A couple hands going up. So uh, new, are you, are you recovered yet? Not, not, not yet? Okay. So it's a Friday night, all night. They don't even sleep all the way into Saturday. And New Hope brought 71 middle schoolers this year uh, to Blitz. And uh, they had a great time. It's a ton of fun. They go all over the place and they, they serve and they play. And, and more important even than that is they get a chance to hear about Jesus and hear the gospel. And out of our group that went, um, as Jake, Pastor Jake was sharing with me earlier, uh, five kids uh, from our group prayed to receive Christ this weekend, which is super exciting. We had other five kids uh, recommit their life to Christ as well, just communicating, I know Jesus, but um, one place or another, I'm just not, not walking with him right now, but I want to recommit to him. So that is super exciting, right? Is that worth clapping for? We've got to wake you guys up here. There we go. So, so God is moving, and I just want to I just want to publicly thank Pastor Jake. It is a great job, and Hannah, and uh, and all the volunteers that work with middle school kids. Not just at Blitz, but really throughout uh, throughout the year, God is doing some great things in middle school ministry. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Now, just as fun as Blitz. Actually, maybe not. But we have a business meeting next Sunday. I wanted to mention one more time. So after second service, you need to mark your calendars for this. It may not be blitz-like and fun, but it is very important. So uh, um, especially if you're a member, but this is where we're going to go over budgets and new members and updates on the church. We have hard copies of all the information that was emailed out in the back table if you haven't gotten it yet. Uh, food provided, but plan on being with us uh, next Sunday after the second service. And we'll be doing our annual business meeting at that time. Okay, that said, grab your Bibles, please. Turn to the Old Testament book of Malachi. Now, if you're wondering, haven't heard of that one, that's okay. Uh, go to your table of contents. That's what it's there for. And, uh, and you can find the page number in your Bible. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you get to New Testament books, you'll know you need to make a left-hand turn and go back, back to the Old Testament. But we are beginning uh, this morning a brand new sermon series going through this book. Now, how many of you, whether growing up or maybe now as an adult slash parent, uh, you have had or called one of those family meetings. Anybody know what I'm talking about, family meetings? So if my wife and I, Laura, if we call a family meeting, that instantly means my, our kids groan. <laughs> They're like, this is not going to go well, right? We hate family meetings. And so typically you gather in the living room, right? And, and usually mom or dad or somebody calls the meeting and you got to talk some things out. And sometimes it's really exciting things. Sometimes it's a, how would you feel about having an addition to the family? We're going to have a baby. You know, that kind of celebratory family meeting. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's the hard stuff, right? Sometimes it's something's gotten off with the family, and we just got to pull together. We need to talk this out and get on the same page. The book of Malachi is basically a family meeting. It's God the Father, a loving Father, who pulls together his people, the Jewish people. He's got some things to talk about. In this case, it's going to be the hard stuff. For the people of Israel, they've gone off the rails a little bit. And he, he wants to pull them together, and he's going to do some rebuking. He's going to be uh, trying to correct their behavior and just call some things out uh, uh, here in this, this family meeting. And so that's essentially what this book is, is trying to accomplish. And there's some things, too, that God wants his people to know that's important for him to know. 
So as you're turning to Malachi, let me just give you the setting of this book so we kind of have the lay of the land in terms of what's going on. Malachi was written in the year about 425 to 400 BC before the birth of Christ. And uh, at this time in the nation of Israel, their history, it was a time of struggle. If you back, uh, go back 100 years before that, the nation of Israel returned back to the promised land. See, before that even, the people had disobeyed God in many ways. And so God uh, sent them off as slaves in different parts of the country. And, and then God brought them back in this amazing, miraculous fashion, brings them Israel all, all back to the promised land. And so they begin to rebuild uh, what we would call Israel today. They, they rebuilt uh, Jerusalem. That's the book of Nehemiah and building the walls around Jerusalem. And they, they restored. The, how the city was destroyed. They restored the city. Uh, they rebuilt a temple in Jerusalem. This was the second temple, and they got that going, and they got the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament up and running again. It was an exciting time in, in Israel's history as, as, the, as the nation got going again, if you will. By the time Malachi is written, it's been about 100 years since that time. And what's happened since then is that Israel has, well, they've become complacent. They've begun to walk away. It wasn't like they just stopped believing, but it's more of that they were just going through the motions. You ever been there before in your own faith? Just where uh, it's not that you don't believe it anymore and you, don't, you, don't, uh, you disagree or anything like that. It's just that it just hasn't captured your heart or attention like it used to and, and you're just going through the motions. And that's what Israel is doing. This is, this is where they're at. They're just in that place. And so, so God the Father is bringing them back together in this book. And he's, he's going to challenge them. He's going to he's gonna call out some things in their lives that he sees that is not good. And, and call them back to, to walking with him, back to true worship. As you're going to experience, even today, but throughout the next six weeks, there's some hard, hard verses in this book. There's some challenging things that we're going to face together. And not just for Israel back in time. It's some stuff that we're going to face, that we're facing today. This is in our lives too. But I think we're up for the challenge. I think we're up for the next six weeks to hit some of these hard-hitting verses to, uh, to have God work in our hearts and in our lives. So, so that's one purpose for Malachi. A second one, you'll see the screen up there, is that when Malachi was written uh, in 425-400, after this book was written, this is the last book of the Old Testament, as I mentioned before, God goes silent. In terms of revelation, in terms of God engaging with his people, it goes dark. And he has nothing more to say to his people. And the next time that God begins to engage again and begins to speak again, that, that silence will be broken by the cry of a baby in Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. And that begins this new covenant, this new revelation of what we call the New Testament. And so really this book, Malachi, is, is God's last words to his people, the Jewish people. This is what he wants them to know. And what he wants them to know, besides some of the things that they're doing, that he needs to clean up their behavior, the other thing he wants to do is prepare his people for the coming of Jesus. He wants them not to miss this. And so woven throughout this entire book is this preparation, as we would say, for Christmas. Malachi is going to prepare our hearts for Christmas. So we're going to be in this book all through November and really into half of December because God wants to prepare, wants to use this book to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so we're going to see throughout, it's going to be this message of get ready. The Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. Be prepared. This is what he has for us. These are the reasons, this is the, the background, if you will, for Malachi. Now in terms of a book, and maybe you're there already in your Bibles by now, you'll notice it's a very short book. 
in four chapters, but grand total, it's only 55 verses. I mean, that's it. You could read this book in 15 minutes. I mean, cover to cover, if you will. And I would encourage you to as well. I mean, we're going through week by week, but I would encourage you, read through this on your own and, uh, and just take in what it's saying to you. And what's interesting about these 55 verses, though, is that God is speaking in 47 of them. Meaning nearly every verse in Malachi is God saying something to his people. He's called this family meeting and he's got a message to deliver. Not just for the Israelites thousands of years ago, but he's got a message for us too today. And so with that introduction, I want to get us started here. We're going to jump into the book of Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how it begins. It starts off, it says this. It says, a prophecy through the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, this is really your standard introduction to a letter of this sort. So what do we learn? We learn that this is a, a message from God that he has, that he's speaking to Israel, and he's using Malachi as his messenger. Malachi, we don't know much about him. In fact, this is the only verse that he shows up in the entire book. Other than that, he's, he's really invisible in this entire book. All we know about him is his name is Malachi, and Malachi means my messenger. That's what it means. So literally, he's the messenger. He's the mailman. He didn't write the mail. He's just delivering the mail. God speaks to him. He faithfully brings it to the people of Israel and says, this is God's message to you. Now, you notice it's called a prophecy. And maybe in your Bible, it's called an oracle. Maybe you'll notice that. They really mean synonymous things. Basically, what this means is this is a message from God that comes from a place of burden on his heart. You can relate to this. You ever had uh, a time in your life where there was just something it was just weighing on you, something you needed to communicate. You had to get it off your chest. You had to share it with that person. That's essentially what this means. That what God is about to share is not something that's trivial. This is important to him. This is, this is a burden on his heart. This is something he needs to communicate to his people. As he's pulling this family meeting together, he's got an important message to share. And this is what he's going to be doing as he unpacks this. Now let's go to verse 2, and here's where it really begins. I want us to notice something here. God is going to speak first. God's going to speak first. Look what it says. Here it is, verse 2. He says, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? So notice God calls this family meeting. He starts the family meeting with affirming words, doesn't he? He starts it with, with words that are affirming. He says, people, my people, I have always loved you. I just want you to know that. Before, before we get into some hard stuff, God's saying, I wanted you to know how much I love you. Now, what's interesting is the people snap back and they say, how have you loved us? Now, I know there's a question mark there, but let's be very clear. That's not a question. That's an accusation. That's like when somebody says to you, or maybe you say to somebody else, why are you so stupid? That's not really a question. That's an accusation. Like, that's what you're saying to me here, right? That's essentially what's going on here. They're saying, in a sense, really? Hmm, you love us, huh? I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. It's as if they're, they're accusing God here. You, 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 don't, you don't love us. You, you don't bless us. I, I look around and I see all of our enemies and it looks like you're blessing them, but not us. In a sense, they're saying back to God, we judge you as a failed father. Nice start to a family meeting. Maybe you've had some of those before. God's saying, I love you. And they snap back, no, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Now, we have to understand, this isn't for Israel. This isn't coming from a place of atheism. This is coming from a place of anger because they're hurting. That's what's going on here. 
they're hurting. Israel in this time of history is a complete mess. Economically, their their whole economy is collapsed. Politically, it's a mess. We're going to see later spiritually, I mean, the priests, they were off the rails. I mean, there's a dumpster fire there too. There's nothing that was working right in the nation of Israel. They would look around and everything about their lives felt difficult or packed with suffering. There was nothing good here. And so they, 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 maybe in a sense, naturally kind of called back and they said, look, we believe, God, that you have left us and you have failed us. That's essentially what they're saying. And I think if we can connect to this, because if we're not careful that we too, when we're in a place in life where things aren't going like we hoped, we too can accuse God, can't we? We, we? we too can come back to God and say, God, maybe we don't say it out loud, but we think it or we feel it. I judge you as a failed father. Because I look around and it just doesn't look like you're even here. You're even paying attention. That's what's going on here. And we say things, maybe like they were thinking too. God, where were you? Fill in the blank. God, God, why did you? Fill in the blank. God, what are you doing? God, God, you didn't come through. I prayed. Nothing happened. We can get to this exact same place that these people snapping back at God. I have always loved you. Really, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in this place. But God models something regardless that's really important for us. If you have your bulletin on the back side today, there's just a couple fill in the blanks. But here's the first one for you. As God is our loving Heavenly Father calling this family being together, this is what he essentially does. He connects with the people before he corrects. That's so important. He connects with them before he's corrects them. Now, correction is coming. And you're going to see in the coming, coming weeks, these verses that I unpack, I mean, it is going to be, it's going to be on. But, but first, he begins with connecting with them, of reminding him of his love for them. We might call out the principle this way. Next fill in the blank is this. Your last one is this. That rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And if you're a parent here this morning, this is a great principle on that point too. This idea that if, if, if it's always about correction, 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 behavior management, and you're not investing into the relationship as well, at some point there will be a snap and there will be rebellion. And some of you growing up, your adults or your kids in the room, it doesn't matter, you, you had parents that, that were more on the correction side and less on the connection side. And you remember what that's like. And some of you may have parents that were more on the connection side and less on the correction side. But regardless, God is our Heavenly Father. He gets it perfectly balanced. And he has this this perspective where he says to you, he says to me, to us, he says, I love you. I have always loved you. But but I don't leave you where you're at. I love you as you are, but I want to help you get to where you need to be. This is the perfect balance that God has with his love. He connects and he corrects. He balances grace with justice. And he pulls it all together. We're going to see that model throughout this, this, this entire book here of God connecting, of God correcting. See, as we're going to learn in the coming weeks, these people needed correction. But God begins with connecting with them, of communicating his love for them. These people were behaving badly. These people weren't, weren't worshiping God. They weren't serving God. They weren't giving to God like they should. All these systems, so to speak, that God had set up in their lives, they'd walked away. 
And yet God begins the message and says, but I still love you. Even though you're going through the motions, even though you're just pretending, even though you put the, the face on on Sunday mornings or Saturday, whatever the case may be for them versus us, but I know it's really going on in your heart. He sees it all, and yet God still communicates this love relationship. And I think, I, I really, for some of us this morning, you need to hear this. And I know how this works, because if you've been a Christian more than five minutes kind of a thing, the message that God loves you is heard. And it's said from a stage, and it's said in your Bible, and it's said on radio, and whatever the case may be. You hear this message, God loves you, and I think we can hear it, but we don't hear it anymore. But, but, but for us this morning to hear, whether for the first time or just hear it in a new way, that God loves you, no strings attached, and no conditions. And even when you're behaving badly, it does not matter. He loves you. And I think for us, this is a hard one because we're so accustomed to conditional love, aren't we? We're so accustomed to, you know, I, I think when on my good days, God, yes, I get his love for me on my good days, but what about my bad days? This is how it works for us. But, but God comes in and he communicates this idea, I have loved you. As you think about the seasons of your life, I, I have loved you. When you were going through that hurting time, I was there. I loved you through that. And when you were scared, when you were struggling, and on your worst days, God's love does not waver. He communicates, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. This is the love of God. So, so here we see, just by way of review, we're only in verse 2 still. God says, God says, I love you. The people say, no, no you don't. Now God's going to answer their accusation. He's going to respond back to his accusation of, of, of God, you don't love us. Look at me, still in verse 2, the second half. This is how God responds. He says this, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Did that just help anybody out there? Anybody else like, what are we talking about here? I thought we were talking about love and how you don't love me anymore. It's like God was like squirrel and went over here and started talking about Jacob and Esau. And we have no idea what, how that even connects to what we were just talking about. Like what is going on here? And needs a little explanation here. But God is up to something in this family meeting. Remember, he pulls everybody together. He says, look, I have loved you. They say, no, you don't. We judge you a failed father. And he goes back and says, look, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. What's he doing? What he's doing is he's bringing Israel back in time to the beginning of Israel's existence. He's taking them back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to a guy named Abraham in a foreign land who was hitting retirement age. He had his golf clubs, his AARP was all calling. He was ready to go, right? The, the golden years and live out the rest of his life with his wife, Sarah. But God shows up, a God he didn't know and calls him to a land he'd never been to. He says, I want you to leave your home and go to a place I'll show you. And Abraham amazingly says, okay. And he goes. And God gives him a promise along the way. He says, I'm going to provide for you a son. I get it. You're, you're in the golden years, gray hair, all that kind of thing. You've never had a child, but I'm going to provide you a son. Now, the story has lots of twists and turns, but God is faithful. And in time, God provides to Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac. And then Isaac grew up, and Isaac got married. And Isaac then had two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And these are the boys that we refer to here. What's God doing? He's, he's going back in time. He's just walking them through their family story. Essentially what he's saying here is, look, I not only love you, I've loved your crazy family all the way from the beginning. I mean, every generation 
you guys have been a piece of work, but I have never stopped loving you. Every generation, this cycle happens where you, you, you worship me and then you forget about me and then everything goes wrong in your life and then you cry out to me, God, save me, help me. And so I show up and I fix everything and I, I show up and I share my love with you and then once everything's good, then you forget about me again and the cycle goes on and on. God is saying, I've loved you all through all of that. I have never, ever stopped loving you through all of those seasons of life. And so we get to Jacob and Esau with this story. And these boys are a mess. These boys, and if you have boys, maybe you know what it's like, but like these boys, they, they fought in the womb. I mean, punching each other kind of thing. They fought in the womb. They fought outside the womb. And these two guys couldn't have been more different. I mean, you have, you have Jacob as a mama's boy, right? And you have Esau as the daddy's boy. You've got this divided family. If they were here today, it would be like Jacob would drive the Prius, right? And he would wear sandals with socks on and eat salads and finger paint his feelings. Like that's Jacob, that's, that's who this guy is. And then in contrast, you have Esau, the daddy's boy, right? He would drive a diesel truck. He would wear boots and love country music and cage fighting. Like, that's Esau. So you got these two guys. I'm just trying, right? We can relate to these guys. So, so th- they couldn't be more different, but they're both bad. It wasn't like one was good and one was bad. They're both bad. I mean, Esau, he, he traded his birthright in for a bowl of soup. Jacob's a con man. These guys are horrible. Is that okay? Anyway, th- these guys are just, ho- they're just, they're just bad, bad boys. But God is saying, I have loved Jacob. And he's, he's laying this out here. I have loved this family throughout. Because through Jacob comes the nation of Israel. God picks Jacob to, to be the line of lineage for Israel. Okay, now you got to stay with me at this part because it's going to get a little kind of crazy here for a moment here. So, Next verse, here we go. God says again, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. And Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. Next slide. There we go. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. Does that feel harsh? When you read this, you have these two boys. It wasn't like one was good and one was bad. They're both bad. But God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Jacob is the one I prefer. I give my grace to him, but Esau gets what he deserves. Now, what's going on? Why would God say, because then he loved everybody? Like, why does it say, I hated Esau? Well, sometimes with Scripture, you need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So I'm going to take you, don't, don't go there in your Bible. Just look on the screen behind to Luke chapter 14, because, because Jesus is going to speak to this. Because when it says, Esau I have hated, what this means is, is comparative to my other relationships, it's almost as if I hate Esau. There's a comparative uh, uh, level to this. It's preferring one over another. Look what Jesus says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are tough words. You, you, can't, you can't be my follower, as Jesus says, unless you hate these people. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's think about Jesus. Did, did Jesus hate his mother? Well, of course not. 
In fact, Jesus not only loved his mother, but even on the cross as he was nailed there, he's speaking down to the disciple John to take care of his mom. He was loving Mary all the way to the end. Of course he loved his mother. Husbands, are we to hate our wives? No, our siblings, our children, our, our very life? The answer is no, of course. This is oftentimes called what's oftentimes called the law of priority, which simply means that in comparison to the other relationships in your life, your love for God should be so great that in comparison, it would almost appear or seem like you hate the others in your life. Not that you actually do, of course. That's what he's saying. It's this tall challenge of, of God being the highest priority, of God being the most important relationship, of your pursuit of him being such that that takes center stage. It is the focus of your life. And then outside of that, these other relationships, which ironically, the more we love God, the better we can love others, including our family, our spouse, our children, our friends, etc., but this is what it's saying here, this law of priority. It's as if God is saying here with these verses to Israel, I've put up with a lot. I've put up with you, Israel, for generation after generation, and none of you got it right. Every generation has failed. Every generation has gone their own way. But I want you to hear this morning kind of idea. There's this family meeting that God calls that he says, I have loved you despite I have loved you no matter what. I have picked you and my love is not conditional. This idea that even when you are behaving badly, God's saying to Israel, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Some of us need to hear this this morning. And God, he declares it here to Israel, but you know, he proves it. He will prove it from Malachi's day, 400 years later, when God the Father who called that family meeting, sent his son, his only son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. Demonstrating this incredible love that I have always loved you. This grace. And what's interesting about the first Christmas as you think about Jacob and Esau, as I already mentioned, that from Jacob we have the line of Israel that comes through and eventually you get to Jesus in this lineage. But you know from Esau, as we just read here, we have the line of the Edomites, another nation that comes from Esau. And what's interesting, when you get to the first Christmas, now in the New Testament, which we'll be celebrating here in a matter of weeks, you have Jesus there, and you had an Edomite also on the scene. An Edomite who did a horrible thing. You see those two brothers, Jacob and Esau, were symbolically still fighting on that first Christmas. Because an Edomite, the Edomite on the scene that day of that first Christmas, was King Herod. He was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. And here you have King Herod who, who kills little boys throughout the region in order to try to strike down this baby Jesus. You have that warring still going on between the two boys 400 years later, that first Christmas. And as we close here this morning, this was a message for Israel. Again, God calls the family meeting. He's got more to say in the meeting. The kids can't leave yet. But he starts off, he says, I've loved you. And I've loved your crazy family throughout. And I'm not going anywhere. This is where he begins the book of Malachi. But it's not just for them. It's a message for us. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey this morning. But wherever you're at, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that God loves you. No strings attached. And he's not going anywhere. 
And maybe, maybe this morning, maybe you're in a place like the people of Malachi's day, where, again, you don't say it out loud, but, but it's here. You say, how have you loved us? I don't see it. I don't buy it. And it's been a season of life where it's been hard. It's been hard to walk with him. It's been a season of just complaints against him. I don't, I don't understand what you're up to, God. Right, can I just close with just one, one encouragement? I want to take us still in the Old Testament back. Just look on the screen behind Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God speaking, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what's he saying? God's saying, I, I do things differently than you. And the things I think about are not the things you think about. And the things that I do is probably different than how you would do it. What I want to encourage us this morning is to remember that our perspective is so limited, isn't it? I get it. We look at the details of our lives and it's easy to question. It's easy to, to not understand what God is doing. I mean, we, we know what we know or what we think we know, but we certainly acknowledge we don't know at all, do we? And then with just some of the facts, we play judge and jury against God. I want to say this this morning. And maybe if you get nothing else this morning, please hear this. Personally, I'm just convinced if we knew what God knows, we would worship him. You know what I mean? We go through the things of life and we don't understand what he's up to and we don't get what's happening and we look at the, the, the details of our lives and it's so easy to complain or so easy to feel frustrated or empty or struggle. But I just want to remind us this morning and, and share this. If, if we really knew what God knows, we'd worship him. We'd recognize, we'd recognize how limited our perspective is and we'd recognize that how much he knows and worthy of our trust. Because the reality is, while we can say that, the truth of the matter is we don't know what he knows, do we? And so we walk through life, trudging through step by step, trying to figure out what's going on. We don't have his perspective. But what we can do is trust him who does. We can link arms to him. We can grab a hold of him. We can trust him as our heavenly father and say, you're the one who declares no matter what, in every season of life, whether it's good or bad, whether I'm behaving badly or not, your, your loves, you've said, I have loved you. And we can trust him. We, we can trust him with all those things. And maybe for some of us, and the band, you can come out if you would, please. Maybe for some of us, you know, today is a day where we, we stop complaining. Because any single one of us could stand up here with this microphone and share about our lives and something is hard. And something is not the way we would choose it to be. And there's probably something there where we would say, if we're honest, God, I don't know if you're coming through like I thought you would. Right? But maybe today's the day to say, no more complaining. No more saying, God, I judge you as a failed father. And simply when he says, insert your name, I've loved you and I do love you. You just receive that. Even if you don't feel it, even if you look at the details of your life and it's easy to doubt it, just receive it. Say, thank you, God, that you love me. And in response, I just want to love you back and walk with you.
I love how our Heavenly Father, yours and mine, starts with connection, doesn't he? Correction will come. But he wants you to know this morning how much he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, it, it's a message we hear all the time, but I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts, that we would hear in a fresh way this morning how much you love us. And maybe for us it's easy to do a comparison kind of deal and we just say, I just don't know and I just doubt it and I just don't see it. But, but Lord, as, as you declared to Israel back then how you have faithfully loved them generation after generation, that there was nothing they could do to get rid of you and your faithfulness and presence in their lives. Lord, same with us. Your love remains. Your love awakens. Your love inspires. Your love draws. And I pray in our own lives we would allow that to happen. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, now we want to worship you. As verse 5 says in Malachi, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And we will worship you. And we're going to do that now this morning. We pray this in your name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.